0: Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Yes, God, we come to exalt you today, Lord. Lord, we want to see you this morning. Um, Lord, as we come to your word, we pray that you would speak to us, O oh God and speak through your servant. God, hide me behind the cross. We don't want to see just a performance, God, but we want to see you, and so we exalt you, and you said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself, and so God, we pray that you would be lifted up, that you would be magnified, that you would be glorified, and your enemies, Lord, would be horrified as you move your weight around, and you um, show off your glory in this place, God. Would you move in power? Would you move in might, God? We exalt you today because you're worthy. You are the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, and so we exalt you today, O God. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our God, our rock, our king, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Exodus 25, 1 through 9 says, the Lord spoke to Moses, tell the Israelites to take an offering for me. You are to take my offering from everyone who is willing to give. Uh, This is the offering you are to receive from from them. Uh, Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, and scarlet yarn, fine linen and goat hair, ram skins dyed red and fine leather, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx along with other gemstones for mounting on the ephod and breastpiece. They are to make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. You must make it according to all that I show you the pattern of the tabernacle as well as the pattern of all its furnishings. I want to use as a, 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 a theme for us this morning, um, all of us together. All of us together. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. All of us together. If you've ever been a part of uh, um, a team or seen a team operate Uh, together. One of the main things you notice about that team is uh, their chemistry. And chemistry in this context is basically defined as interaction between people working together. Chemistry is a huge part of how a team works together. And chemistry is something that's so significant that that it can uh, lead to good and produce good outcomes, or it can be negative and lead to disastrous ones. And how people work together defines and dictates whether or not they're going to be able to accomplish the task ahead of them. Why is that important? Why would that be important? Well, when we look at the Christian faith, when we look at the Christian life, we see that Jesus is very concerned About his church and how she works together to accomplish his mission in the world. In fact, he prays as much before he goes to the cross and then ultimately resurrects and then ascends back to heaven to go uh, to glory. He prays what? That his disciples would be one. As he and the father are one. He was praying for the unity of the saints. He was praying that they would work together. Unity is on the mind and the heart of Jesus. And it is what he accomplishes when he obliterates sin on the cross. He, He not only Unifies us with the Father, but then he unifies us with one another. And so unity is at the heart of God. There's vertical reconciliation, there's horizontal reconciliation. This Jesus who came to seek and save that which was lost is doing that and accomplishing this, this purpose of unity. So what we what we see and what we understand and what Uh, I want to help us understand today is that there is power in togetherness. There's power in togetherness. So much so that we know that one of the greatest plots and uh, tactics of the enemy is to cause and create division. I mean, we just look at our nation. Look at our world. Look how many people are, 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 are divided over things. There's, there's, there's racial division. There's, there's political division. We've got relationships that are broken and fractured because the enemy knows the power of togetherness. He knows the power of unity. And any time God's people put aside selfish ambition and selfish motives and get together, power, the power of God works through the unity of his people. One of the big things that we've been trying to communicate for Remnant Church this year is uh, our theme, Believe Big. And so um, our vision uh, in this whole uh, Believe Big theme is to reach all of Leesburg and all of Lake County with the gospel in the next 10 to 12 years. In the next 10 to 12 years that we would see a movement of God in our lifetime. Several things that we've indicated are key factors in this this theme, in this initiative. One, and number one, is prayerful dependence on the Holy Spirit. And we know that if God is going to move and do anything, uh, he's going to do it through his people who are empowered by his Spirit. And so it's a fine line between doing things God's way, God's mission God's way, and doing God's mission my way. And so we want to reorient our hearts and our focus around depending on God. And so we started off the year with a, a, a 31 days of prayer and fasting, and we fasted on every Friday of, of January. To seek the Lord, for him to move in us and through us. But then the second thing was personal ownership of the mission. Because when I own it, I treat it differently. Number three is prioritizing disciple making. Remember, Jesus' last words should be our first work. Go ye therefore and make disciples. Right, that's what Jesus told his disciples to do. So we want to make that our priority as a church, and then finally partnering together for kingdom advancement. So specifically, when it comes to number two, personal ownership of the mission, and number four, partnering together to uh, to uh, for kingdom advancement, there's a mindset shift that needs to happen in our minds. There's a heart transformation that needs to happen in our hearts because. Um, I've, I've just seen something about how we tend to operate here in the church in America. Most times when people come and we gather as a church, we come expecting to get something from someone. We want to hear a good word. And amen, we all expect the word of God to be preached and declared when we come to his house. Uh, we want to hear uh, Trey use his his voice to, to exalt Jesus. We want to hear the musicians and the, 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 the worship team sing and exalt Jesus. And we should, and, and he's worthy of our praise. And we should desire these things. But how often do we come expecting to give, to contribute? I believe one of the greatest hindrances in God's mission advancing in cities just like Orlando, Florida, and even beyond Orlando to permeate our state and even our nation, is that Christians have adopted a consumer mindset that has the that has the church operating. Merely as a vendor of religious goods and services. So now we treat the church just like we treat Publix. We treat the church just like we treat Walmart. And if they don't have in stock what we came to get, well, I'm going to just go down the street to the next one until I find what I need. Well, could it be that there's a void because you're supposed to fill it? Could it be that 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 thing that you desire that this church had is supposed to be fulfilled by you? Too often we look to the leadership to be doing everything to meet our needs, to meet our wants, to meet our preferences. And so the reality is we're not coming to worship God. We're coming to worship ourselves. So we gotta, we gotta, we we gotta shift our mindset. We gotta shift our heart because, because we, we, we we not in as much as we come to expect to meet God. We ought not come uh, empty-handed. Um. We ought to come expecting to contribute and not merely consume. And at the heart and mind that is uh, involved in taking pers- personal ownership of the mission, it's the individual who sees the mission as, as, as something that involves me. That if God is going to reach other people, he's going to use people to do it and so you got to see yourself as an active participant in the mission of God because that's how he operates Robbie Gallaty is a pastor in uh, Nashville um, Tennessee and and he says that the gospel came to you because it was headed to someone else the gospel wasn't never supposed to just stop with you it's supposed to flow through you to other people so that they can now encounter the God who changed your life then also partnering together for kingdom advancement. So there's personal ownership of the mission, but then that's on the individual, how they see themselves as a part of the mission. But then partnering together is that I am operating in my role, connected with the body, so that then we can operate healthily as a body. Because it's not just me. I'm a part of a greater whole at work. And that's how God is getting his mission accomplished all around the world. This is exactly what's happening in the type of people that God will work through to get things done. This morning, I want to make two points, and I'm out your way. Um, I want to make two points that the way God will accomplish his mission is by his people working together and his people being willing to sacrifice. His people working together and his people being willing to sacrifice. Both of these are important for God's mission uh, to accomplish. Working together, we see the mission uh, as such that in verse 8 it says they are to make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them, you must make it according to all that I show you, the pattern of the tabernacle as well as the pattern of all its furnishings. So where are we? We are are in the wilderness with the children of Israel, and and they had experienced 400 years of, of bondage and slavery under the Egyptian uh, um, um, <clears throat> kingdom at the, of the time, the superpower of the day, and they had prayed and they had cried out to God for Him to free them and set them free from this oppressive um, bondage that they were up under. And the Bible says that God heard the prayers of the people. It's a beautiful thing when God hears the prayers of His people. They had prayed and prayed and and not seen deliverance. And they prayed and prayed and not seen freedom. They had prayed and prayed and yet there was nothing happening. But God heard the prayers of his people. You ever been in a situation, and circumstance where you've been praying and praying and praying and it just seems like God just ain't moving. This is what Israel experienced in bondage, in Egypt. But ultimately, he raises up Moses, and he sends Moses back to Pharaoh to tell him to let my people go. And ultimately, after a series of miraculous um, demonstrations of God's power... On the 10th one, Pharaoh finally lets his people go, and they leave Egypt only to find themselves at the Red Sea, two million people trapped by water, and then Pharaoh is behind them because he changed his mind, and they're in a situation where they need God to move. And he does. He parts the sea. They walk across in dry land. The Egyptians see that happen. They want to rush into and cross over as well. And then as they rush in, God closes the water, defeats their enemy, Egypt. And he sets them free. And he sends them into the wilderness. Now, the question I have is, why in the world would God bring them out of bondage in 400 years just to take them into a place of desolation. You ever asked or or, or pondered why the wilderness? Why not take them into a a fruitful place? Why take them into a place that is desolate? Well, I think at the very least, we we can come away understanding that God wants them to completely trust in him. Two million people from bondage used to eating when they get hungry, and now they're in the wilderness, and and they got to ask Moses, what are we going to eat out here? What are we going to drink out here? And God was the one who fed them. God was the one who provided water for them. He was the one who sustained them in the wilderness, And they complained, they wished that they were back in bondage and and so on and so forth. And ultimately God had to kill off some of them and then some of them died before they reached this land that was promised to them. But as you can see from the verse we just read, he doesn't bring them all the way out here with no plan and no purpose. Okay, so where you are in your life is not because... Uh, You just happen to be there somehow. You're there for a plan and a purpose. God doesn't waste any of our suffering. He doesn't waste any of our circumstances. Everything works out for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. His plan is the plan that's at work. You might think that your plan is the one that's operating, but ultimately God's plan is the plan that's going to be fulfilled. And so they're out here and there's a purpose and there's a plan and there's a mission. He has something he wants them to do. He wants them to build this tabernacle. But it's no different than us. The story of Israel is an illustration of those of us who have been in bondage to sin. Sin is any Thought, word, or action that is contrary to God's nature and his character. It is to, in essence, miss the mark of God's holiness and righteousness. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That means each and every one of us is infected. uh, We've inherited innately sin, but then also sin is something that we choose to do. So we are not just the recipients of sin done to us. We are perpetuators of sin on others. This is how sin uh, works. It it, it fractures relationships such that it separates us from God, and there is no way for us to now get back to God because the Bible says our works are, are not good enough because they're tainted by sin. And so if you're trying to get back to God or in relationship with God based on the good that you can do, my question is, how good is good enough? And who gets to determine how good enough is enough? But we've been set free by Christ. What he's done, he came and did what we could not do. You see, where where God does what the Israelites could not do for themselves to deliver them, It's it's what Christ does for us to set us free from the bondage and the oppression and the power of sin. And we've been set free, but listen, we haven't been just free to chill and sit. We've been set free... And then we've been sent into the world on his mission. So he has something for us to do. This is why we don't just get saved and then leave this world. We get saved and then there's something for us to do. We're involved in reaching others for Jesus. I've been teaching my boys. uh, They, you know, started being involved in in sports. My daughter's twelve. She's, you know, doing her dance thing, so that's more of an individual. Well, she dances with a team, so I guess I could teach her these principles too. Um, <clears throat> but my boys are, you know, playing flag football, basketball, soccer, the whole nine team sport things. So, you know, I wanted to establish some principles for them to, to learn how to be a part of uh, a team. And the first thing I taught them was, principle number one, there is no I in team. And I got them these little folders, you know, they decorated them with stickers and everything like that. And then I had them write down what I was writing on the whiteboard. So you know, I'm having my my, my, uh, my chalk talk, if you will. <laughs> For those of you who've played uh, sports, y'all understand that terminology. Number, principle number two, have, I told them have one goal, the team should have one goal. But then t- principle number three was, we all have many different roles, right? So I'm trying to teach them how to understand team sports. And I thought that, you know, you know I gave them six principles, and so I'm going to use those as kind of like a, uh, uh, you know, a framework for, for, for walking through this passage. But when we think about there's no I in team, I know your pastor used an illustration of Tom Brady last week. And, um, you know, it, it was good, you know, and, and everything like that. They still lost, but um, <laughs> one of the things he, he said was, um, you know, that, that Brady was able to make something out of nothing, right? And he was able to um, be faithful and consistent to come through um, when, the, when you needed him most. Right? And, and that's, that's good, and that's all good, and that's been his history as a quarterback. But I have to gr- disagree with you on, on one thing. When you said that, um, and, and you know, I love Brady, you know what I mean? I, so, you know, I appreciate greatness, so I'm not a hater. Um, but you said if it wasn't for that sorry defense, they would have won the game. But, but I was watching the same game. I was watching the same game, and, 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 and what I watched and what I saw was that Brady wouldn't even have the opportunities he had without the other members of the team. Am I right or wrong? Because Brady can't play defense. And so the defense has to do something in order for him to get the ball and the opportunities to execute how he execute on his, you know, goat status. So, so 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 when we're talking about there's no I and team, the the reality is that There's no one person's role that that is bigger or or, or greater than the collective whole. All the parts are working together to accomplish the same goal and the same mission. The mission, again, was to build the tabernacle. And so God is inviting everyone to be a part of that, uh, to contribute in order so that the mission could be accomplished. then we see that there are many different roles. And so God is talking to Moses but it wasn't Moses' responsibility to actually build the tabernacle. Moses is the leader, yes but Moses isn't the one who's supposed to actually physically build the tabernacle. He is getting the message from God. He's supposed to relay it to the people, so then the people bring what they have and contribute it to the work. And then they are skilled workers that God ultimately provided to actually fulfill the work of cutting the stone and and, and knowing how to um, uh, sew all this stuff together for the uh, drapes and and, and all this stuff that was supposed to be a part of the, the tabernacle. And so here's the point. You may not be able to do what somebody else can do, but you can do something. In fact, the, 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 the barometer for whether or not a church is operating in a healthy way is if its members collectively are all participating and working as they should. And this is the danger of consumer Christianity. It it relegates the work to a few of the people where the majority of the people are sitting back comfortable. And so if the work is not convenient, then I don't want anything to do with it. So we have to evaluate how we enter into this thing. We have to evaluate our mindset we have to evaluate our heart we have to evaluate how we are 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 treating the mission um, It's no different you know what Moses is 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 getting from God, and and then he's communicating to the people so that then they can engage in the work. It's no different when we see in the New Testament, uh, in Ephesians 4 and 11, we see see, um, Paul says that, and he himself, that is uh, Jesus, right? He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. What is Paul saying? He's saying the leaders that are given to the church are given... To equip the saints, that means train and, and, and instruct uh, in the ways of the Lord, obviously, so that then the saints can engage in the work. But the problem is we read that passage oftentimes that he gave the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and shepherds because they are equipped to do the work of ministry for the saints. You see how that, that is out of order. You wonder why pastors burn out. You wonder why, uh, you know, they are dealing with what they're dealing with. Why we've seen so many, um, you know, things happening when it comes to burnout in the church is because it's a lot expected and a lot on the shoulders of pastors. And and the people expect that they're supposed to be able to deal with all of that and do all the work. Uh, People expect all the leadership to shoulder all the responsibility of the work. Just, just set the atmosphere for me to get my praise on. And, 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 you know, I got what I needed, you know, to make it through the week. But then we're not engaging or contributing to the work of the mission. But if the mission is to be accomplished, it's going to take all of us together. All of us together. God gives gifts to the people in the church Why? It's not just so you can consume it on yourself. It's for the building up of the body. And so if you're not exercising your gift, you know, you you may not even know what gift you have. Because you've never been expected to even um, maybe even look at, you know, what you might have that you can give. But what we know about God is that he's given gifts to each person that's a part of his body. And it's supposed to be used in order to build up the body. Look at Acts 1. After or before Jesus is getting ready to leave, what does he say to, to his disciples? He tells them, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He said, you are going to be my witnesses. And so it was, it was, it was Jesus' expectation that the disciples would continue his work. But he doesn't call us to a work and not also give us the ability to do it. Because later in Acts 2, he sends the spirit who indwells the disciples. And ultimately, the mission is fueled, if you will. And it transforms the world. But they saw themselves as active participants in what God was doing. Do you see yourself that way? Do you see yourself that way? Because there can't be... And I in team if that's going to be the case. If it's just about you, then, 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 then you can continue to do what you're doing and expect to get the same results. But if it's about the greater, broader mission of God advancing, then it's going to take a different mindset. It's going to take a different heart to engage in that. And that's why Part two is you have to be willing to sacrifice. You have to be willing to sacrifice. In fact, that was the next principle I taught my boys: sacrifice. You gotta be willing to sacrifice in order for the mission and the goal to be reached. The individual uh, ambition has to be put on the back burner. Now, if if in the if in the the fulfilling of the mission, you know. I also receive some type of benefit from that, okay but 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 the ultimate focus and priority is that I am laying down my ambition for the greater good of the mission going forward. It's important to have a willingness. It's no good to sacrifice if your heart isn't in it. What good is it to have it if if And give it if you're going to give it and be mad about giving it. He says in verse 2, tell the Israelites to take an offering for me. You are to take my offering from who? Everyone that's willing to give. Well, why not just require everyone to give? Well, well, willingness is important in giving. It's all about how and the motive behind why. The question I have is, where did they get the resources that God asked them to give in the first place? well let me help you out go go to Genesis 15 Genesis 15 we see um, right around verse uh, well even before that God is making this covenant with Abraham to bless him he's going to be a great nation all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through his uh, son his seed it's going to be a mighty nation right In verse 13, it says, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain, your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them, and they will be enslaved and oppressed. Hmm, sounds like God knows what's coming down the road. However, I will judge the nation they serve, and afterward they will go out with what? Many possessions, great possessions. God already tells them and tells Abram how this thing is going to line up, how it's going to work out, how y'all are going to come into all these possessions in the first place. But ultimately, uh, throughout their time in, in, in the wilderness and throughout their history, they were supposed to remember what God had done for them so that they would treat the blessings of God not as idols, right, but as reminders of his faithfulness. Too often we treat the blessings of God as the the preeminent thing, the most important thing, as opposed to the giver of the gift. So we want, we want to treat the, the, the blessings as primary and, and, and the one who blessed us with it as secondary. In Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 20, uh, God is calling them to remember his faithfulness and ultimately he says to them in verse 17, you may say to yourself, if they forget him, my power and my own ability has gained this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth in order to confirm his covenant he swore to your ancestors as it is today. It's one thing when things are good and the job is good and and the relationships are good and... And just, I mean, the, the good times just rolling. Could be easy to think that you that deal. Right? That you just, God must really be pleased with you. Just, I mean, I'm I'm blessed blessed. Right? Yeah, you are. <laughs> but You're blessed because um, God has blessed you. He's the one that's done it. And another thing, um, we got to stop allowing our circumstances to determine whether or not we're blessed or not. Because the Bible says in Ephesians 1 that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. So we said it earlier, as long as I have Jesus, I have everything I need. All this other material stuff and, and excess, it's not saying that you know, I don't get caught up in it, you don't get caught up in it. We do. But we have to remember, and we have to work hard to fight against making those things ultimate things. Because good things made ultimate things become idols. And God doesn't share His glory with idols, and so we know what happens when His people start worshiping golden calves. He has to destroy it. He has to destroy it. And so this is why it's so important when we come when we talk about sacrificing. And I know sacrificing is like a curse word in our culture. You know, nobody wants to sacrifice. You know that's weak. You know if we sacrifice then somehow we have lost out on something. But if it don't cost you nothing, is it a sacrifice. You're talking about you don't want to engage in weekly life groups or discipleship because you're tired. Everybody's tired. You know what I mean? Everybody is worn out. Everybody got too much we doing. I didn't mean to get old. You know, I they're not gonna want me to come back, Pastor. Yeah, but um, we have to understand that 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 sacrifice and a willingness to sacrifice is a huge part of of what determines our heart posture, what has our heart, right? But David says this in his prayer in First Chronicles twenty nine. He says in verse 12, riches and, riches and honor come from you. And you are the ruler of everything. Power and might are in your hand, and in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this, for everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your own hand. David is basically saying, we can't give you. We used to sing the song in the church I grew up in, you can't beat God given no matter how you try. No matter how you try, the more. Uh, he, uh, he gives, we give, the more he gives to you. Just keep on giving because it's really true. You can't beat God giving no matter how you try. Well, mm, yes, yes, yes. So you, you, you can't out give God. And how do we know this? All we have to do is look at the cross. God Went bankrupt. He emptied his account at Calvary. And he put it all on Christ. And he paid the debt that we could never repay. And when we look at the cross, we see just how generous God is. But our problem is, we forget. We develop gospel amnesia hard for us to, 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 to remember what exactly God has done for us. God has given us all that he's given us and more to show us that he's got us. This is why Jesus says, why are you worried about your life, what you're going to eat or drink or wear? My heavenly father, your your heavenly father, knows that you need all of it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else is going to be added to you. So he knows what you need more than you know what you need. You think you need um, that new car. Well, would a, would, a, would a used car work just as well? It could. But see, the world is designed to market to our uh, fleshly desires, right? And so they know uh, if they can make it look like um, when we get this, we'll be satisfied, that's how they market to us. And so they attach our identity to whatever this is, and therefore we have value, we have worth, we have significance. But what if God is asking us to sacrifice those ambitions and those pursuits? So, again, I'm going to ask this question. Where did they get the resources that God asked them to give? God gave it to them. God gave it to them. So what do you do when God asks for what he gave you? What do you do when God asks you to give him what he gave you? That's a real tension point for the believer. Right, because ultimately it's going to determine whether or not my trust is in God or my trust is in what he gave me. So if he gave it to me once, he can give me something better. Or if he asked me to give it, he knows I don't need it. He was just trying to to see whether or not I would be faithful in trusting him, because this is the whole reason they're in the wilderness in the first place. Total dependence on God. Total dependence on God. Total dependence on God. I know we've come to depend on other things, but but, but but we have to get to a place where we're depending on God. And this is for me just as much as it is for you. I'm preaching to myself. I got to learn how to depend on God. Because I'm tempted to rely on skill. One of the dangers for pastors is that when we are spending time uh, studying, we're trying to get it so we can give it, instead of getting it to get it for us. We're trying to get it for, uh, for others. So the danger for me is that I could be um, doing and busying myself with work, the work For God, instead of abiding with God. See? I got to be careful that my own heart is not consumed by trusting in the fact that I'm doing work for him. You have to learn and you have to come to a place where you can sacrifice and trust that God knows what you need and he's asking you, because here's, here's the danger. Here's the temptation on what can happen. The temptation for Israel is that they could come to depend on those things, yes. It's also the, see, the temptation is to see the gift as greater than the giver of the gift. But then the temptation could also be to justify having it. Because we was in slavery so long, I earned it. You know what I'm, I'm gonna keep these reparations. <laughs> Paul asks a poignant question in 1 Corinthians, and y'all are gonna get to this at some point in chapter 4. He says, in verse 7, for who makes you so superior, what do you have that you did not receive? In other words, um who got something in here that wasn't given to them by God? <laughs> Everything you have has been given to you. Everything you have. So our heart, when it comes to giving our time, our talent, our treasure, it's, 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 it's going to determine whether or not, who what are we trusting in, who are we trusting in? have to check our motives because God is calling us to be cheerful when we give. And this is not merely possessions, but it's our time. You know, what's our, our schedule and our priorities look like? It's our, it's our talent. It's our spiritual gifts, but it's also our skills. Like, how can we contribute this to the building up of God's people and further advancing his kingdom. And then treasure, your finances and your material possessions. Listen, oftentimes our bank account is the last thing we tend to give God. It's the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing because if you look at our bank account, oftentimes you will see what we value most what we prioritize the most. Jesus says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. But before he said that, he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So here it is. God is not against you having treasures. It's all about where you're storing them up. It's all about where you're storing them up. Are you sending them ahead of you for when you get there, or are you trying to consume them all now, living like this is it? Because this ain't it. This ain't it. There is something far greater, something far better. He's coming to make all things new. And the blessing and the benefit of heaven is not... um, that we're going to get stuff is that we're going to get Jesus. Yeah. You know, if we get to heaven and Jesus isn't there, that's not heaven. The fact that it's heaven is because Jesus is there. So if you could have heaven but not have Jesus, would you want it? That make you think. But it's a question for all of us. Are we willing to work together? My role may not be your role. Your role may not be my role, but you can do something. I can do something. We can bring something. And are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to, to, to look beyond our own preferences and see the greater mission as the thing that we're all in pursuit of together? One goal, one heart, one mind. What's that? Drumline? One. The gospel of drumline. Um. That's the call for all of us. And I'm praying that, 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 that the outpouring would be filled with a people who are personally invested in the mission, but then who are partnering together so that it can advance throughout this city and beyond. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.